Thank you for listening to the sermon audio podcast from Greenwood Baptist Church in Weatherford, Texas. Now here's a message from a special guest. Well, good morning. Uh, I'm not Pastor Brian. (laughs) I'm Rex. R-E-X. Not like the Starbucks girl put W-R-E-C-K. No, R-E-X. But this last uh, week, actually, I found out I have a really cool name. And I've always struggled with Rex because inevitably someone would say, as I grew up, you know, we used to have a dog named Rex. Or, and then one guy said, you know, my granddad had a mule named Rex. So I don't know. I thought Rex must be an animal name. But this week at Chick-fil-A, praise the Lord for Chick-fil-A. I drove in, and I understand what you do. You give them your name, first of all. And I said, Rex spelled it for her. And she said, that is really a cool name. And I said, well, thank you very much. And I smiled all through my mac and cheese, which (laughs) is really good. But I, uh, my wife and I, Sherry, are newest, some of the newest members here. We uh, came from Thousand Oaks, California. (laughs) I know Kirk Cameron. He was a member of my church there in Westlake Village. Yay, Kirk. He's been here in Weatherford three or four times eating at our table. So I know people in high places. I'm so grateful for him, actually. But I'm from Jonesboro, Arkansas. Sherry and I, I was pastor there after eight years being a missionary in West Africa. Uh, Came to Central in Jonesboro and pastored there for 12 years. And at the end of that 12 years, I get a call from Southern California, and they wanted to know if someone would come there and do a church restart. A church had died uh, Grace Baptist Church had died, and so they or was di- in the process of dying, and they wanted to do a restart. So they called me, and well, do you have a, a staff member? Well, I talked to our university minister, Jerry Muckensturm, uh, and uh, I almost want to tell Jerry's story. He played for the Chicago Bears and all that. But anyway, I talked to uh, Jerry Muckensturm, and he said no. And uh, I, talked to, I talked to another staff guy, and he said no. I went to Mid-America Seminary in Memphis, and I tried to enlist someone to go be a missionary in Southern California. And the Northridge earthquake had just happened, and just about everybody in Arkansas thought God was judging California, and it was about to fall off into the Pacific Ocean. So God called us. We said yes, so Sherry and I left with our three children, and we went to Ventura, California to do a church restart, and the Lord blessed that, and we were able to start three other churches, turn those over to Southern Californians, and uh, we moved here just during COVID, and we started praying about a church. I, I mean, for 50 years, I've not been a member of a church other than I've been a pastor of a church. So how do I do? What do I do? Well, I, 
I, I, I read my go-to book of the Bible, the book of Ephesians. And, and I was just reading, and I had visited so many churches, uh, you know, had masks on, so nobody ever saw me. I could go in inconspicuously and out, and I didn't know anybody. Nobody knew me. And, and so I'd visited the Baptists and the Presbyterians and the Methodists and all the crusty conservative churches and all the juicy charismatic churches. And I, I came to Greenwood and I was at home. Sherry and I love it here. Like the way Brandon leads worship, moves around, like the way Brian sits when he preaches. But I knew it was more than just kind of liking the worship and liking the preaching. I knew that if God was calling us here, he had a special assignment for us. And I, and I didn't believe it would be preaching at all or teaching at all. Because we have a ministry in Africa that's continuation, and I'm pretty busy with that. And we go to Africa a lot. But God, what is my assignment here at Greenwood Church when I, we were convinced this is where God wanted us to be? So I read through Ephesians, and I came across a couple of verses that gave me my assignment, I believe, for Greenwood Church. Justin sat down and asked me, well, what do you want to do at Greenwood? And I told him what I believed my assignment was, which I'll tell you in just a minute. But first of all, let's stand and read the scripture for today. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Now, I'm using the NLT because that's Pastor Brian's Bible. Never owned an NL New Living Translation in my life, but I bought one when I joined Greenwood. I want to be in the crowd. And then, but this verse is from the NIV, okay? Look at the screen. Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love. Just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. I believe the book of Ephesians divides into two sections. Our wealth, the God who loves us, and gives us our identity out of that love, and our walk, how we're to live a life of love. And I believe this verse summarizes it as God's Dearly loved children, the object of his love. Now walk in love. And Ephesians shows us how. Thank you. You may be seated. We all know we ought to live a life of love. I mean, that's the essence of the Christian life. We're to love as Christ loved. I mean, Paul said, this love of which I speak is slow to lose patience, looks for a way of being constructive. It's not possessive. It's not anxious to impress, nor does it cherish inflated ideas of its own, imp own importance. Love has good manners. Love's not touchy. Do love does not rejoice in evil, but on the contrary, celebrates the joy of all those who live by the truth. Love knows no end to its endurance, no end to its trust, no fading of its hope. Love outlasts everything. In fact, it is the one thing that still stands when all else has fallen. 
Faith, hope, and love, these three, but the greatest of these is love. It's the greatest thing in the world. Greater than faith, greater than hope. Why? Because that's who God is. Now, I want you to read the passage that the Lord used to give me my special assignment for Greenwood Church. It's Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14. It's a prayer, a prayer of Paul. And so my assignment, pray. Justin said, what do you, he asked me, Justin Allison, our discipleship pastor, what, what do you think your assignment at Greenwood is? And I, 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 Justin, I believe the Lord wants me to pray. Just pray. And this verse captures in the net of human language the essence of how I have been praying for you. You don't know me, I don't know you, but I've been praying for you. This is how I've been praying for Pastor Brian and the staff. And I believe this prayer captures what true revival is, a revelation of the love of God and Christ. A few Sundays ago, I sat over there, and I heard Pastor Brian talk about revival. That's broken out at Asbury Campus, and it's happening here, and it's happening in other places. And boy, I thought at that moment, that fire just returned that was there in 1970 when I was a student at Southwestern Seminary in Fort Worth. Some students from Asbury campus came over and, and they were to take one chapel service, 30 minutes. And they gave testimony of what God is doing in their lives on that campus of Asbury in Kentucky. And that 30-minute chapel went for a full week, day and night. Classes were canceled. And then that revival moved out into the DFW area and churches and regions, and we were experiencing revival in 1970, and I've never been the same. I believe that revival was what thrust us into the mission field in Togo, West Africa, because we got a taste of God's unfailing love for us, and that He is a God of unfailing love. And once you're captured by His love, you'll never be the same. And here's that prayer. I want you to look at it carefully as I read. Ephesians 3.14, when I think of all this, I fall to my knees and pray to the Father, the creator of everything in heaven and on earth. I pray that from his glorious unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great, to understand fully. Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Now all glory to God, who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish 
infinitely more than we might ask or think. Glory to him in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Paul said, when I think of all of this, that's how he started it all. What are you thinking about, Paul? That's the bigger context of the book of Ephesians. When I think of all of this, and his thoughts go back from eternity past in Ephesians 1, before the foundation of the earth, when God chose us in Christ to be holy and without blame before him in love. And it goes all the way into eternity future. And we see that God's forever plan, his eternal purpose, was to bring Jews and Gentiles together in one body to form, as Ephesians puts it, one temple, one family, one bride, one army. God wants us to be one, Jew and Gentile, so to bring glory to him and to declare in the heavenly places, five times in the book of Ephesians, heavenly places is mentioned, or heavenly realms. Now, most young people know about the quantum realm. They've caught quantum mania, a la Ant-Man. And there, are, there is quantum physics, and it's a real study, but... The heavenly realm is a real realm. Paul talks about it five times in the book of Ephesians. And he wants us to live in that heavenly realm. And you may say, well, wait a minute. I've always heard that you can be so heavenly minded, you're no earthly good. You ever heard that? Don't be so heavenly minded, you're no earthly good. There's a lie embedded in that. The opposite is true. If you're not heavenly minded, you'll be of no earthly good. We are to see life from God's point of view, from God's perspective. We're to understand what's going on in the heavenly realms. And then we'll begin to live from heaven to earth and fulfill that prayer of our Lord on earth as it is in heaven. And that's where we understand the love that God has for us. So the three things I want to talk about today about how to experience God's love. Number one, know the love, know the God of love. To know, really know the God of love. Knowing God is the main thing. And that becomes a foundation for a life of love. In that passage, you saw the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Triune God. And the God of the Trinity is always loved. There has to be an object of love. And God loves the Son. He's always loved the Son. It starts with knowing that God is a God of love. Look at 1 John 4 7 and 8, dear friends, let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. But anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Now for God to be essentially, fundamentally love, he would have had to have loved 
throughout all eternity. And that's exactly what he has done. In John 17, 24, read this. And this is the prayer of Jesus for his disciples. And then all of those who would believe in Jesus who would come after those early disciples. That's you and that's me. And here's how Jesus prayed and is praying for us. Father, I want these whom you have given me to be with me where I am. Then they can see all the glory you gave me because you loved me even before the world began. There's never been a time that God has not loved the Son and the Son has not loved the Father and the Holy Spirit. He is essentially, fundamentally, a triune God of love. Now, we're working with Muslims in uh, West Africa, and hundreds of thousands of Muslims are coming to faith in, in Jesus Christ. But one of the characteristics of Allah, the God of the Koran, of the 99 attributes of Allah, not one of them is love. Why would that be? Because for love to always eternally exist, there has to be an object of love. Only a Trinitarian God of love, the Father loving the Son, the Son loving the Father, loving the Holy Spirit emanating from the two. The Trinity teaches us that God is essentially fundamentally love. He's always been a father. Look at Mark chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. It's the baptism of Jesus, and we see the Trinity here at work. One day Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee, and John baptized him in the Jordan River. As Jesus came up out of the water, he saw the heavens splitting apart, and the Holy Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice from heaven said, You are my dearly loved son, and you bring me great joy. You see the Father, his voice from heaven declaring for the whole world to hear, This is my dearly loved son, and he brings me great joy. This is the Father's love for the Son that has existed always before he created the stars and the mountains and the moon and the oceans. Before he created Adam and Eve, he loved the Son, eternally love. As we witness to Muslims, Mustafa is one of our pastors in West Africa right now. And he tells me the key to reaching Muslims is love. They need to know that God is a God of love and that he loves them. Mustafa should know. He gave his life to Jesus Christ as a Muslim. He was rejected by his family. His father tried to kill him, doused him with gasoline on one occasion, tried to burn him up, and finally had him arrested, brought before the Muslim officials there in their city, in their town, and tried to get him condemned to life in prison. And Mustafa just kept saying, I had rather die for the truth 
than live with a lie. And the police chief couldn't believe what he was hearing. I've never heard a man talk like this. And he said, if you could only know the love of the Father, you would understand. Patiently and lovingly, Muslims are being led to faith in Jesus Christ around the world, especially in sub-Saharan Africa. Of course, it's dangerous. And they're kept quiet. Mustafa told me this very week because thanks to this, I'm able to be connected with Africans and these pastors and was telling me how they've just had a baptism and how God is blessing. This man has planted 18 churches, six preaching points, and he gathers every week with those 25 leaders and he dispatches them to do their work. And they are Muslims working with Muslims in West Africa, and they're coming to Christ at a great price. God has always been a father. I haven't. I I had to become a father. For the first 17 years of our marriage, we did not have children. But at the age of 37, I became a father. We were living in Africa, and uh, a man by the name of Mawenyame, an African man full of faith in the Holy Spirit, came carrying a little French black-covered Bible, well-worn from constant use. And Mawenyame brought the Bible to me, and he said, last night I had a dream. In my dream, I saw Mama Sherry, it's what they called her, holding a baby boy. And then there were other children at her feet. I don't know how many, I don't know the sex of the other children, but the first was a boy. (laughs) Then he just boldly announced, like Abraham and Sarah had Isaac, you're going to have a son before you leave Africa. I said, Mawanyami, we just got, we've been married 16 years at that moment. Uh, we've just been, went through a battery of tests in Memphis, Tennessee with the fertility specialist. And they say he's world-renowned. And he has told us we could not have children. It's impossible. And Mawanyami looked at me and he said, God is bigger than the American doctor. He will do this. Then he read Habakkuk 2.3, the vision is yet for an appointed time. It hastens toward its goal. Though it tarry, wait for it, for it will certainly come to pass. It will not be late. He said, God will give you a child. And the next night, that was February the 7th, 1980, the church began to pray. A little church, a little group meeting in our home in those days. And they begin to pray, supplier sans cesse, they called it, supplicate without ceasing. And they did from February, March, April, May, June, just about drove us nuts. Sherry and I would talk, we, we know there are physical reasons we cannot have children, and these are first generation believers, they believe God can do anything, and there you go, the missionary talking there. I needed what they had to give. On May 15th, 1981, I became a dad. John Mauli was born. The Africans named him 
Mauli. God is alive. And then we had Sarah Kafui. Kafui means praise the Lord. And then Rebecca Maumenyo, and Maumenyo means God is good. So God's given us three children. Now they've had six, and so we have a whole bunch of little kids. A vision of Mawanyami has all come true. He's in heaven right now. But our lives are full of such joy and gratitude to God for these children and grandchildren and what we believe God's going to accomplish. And all of our children are working together in this ministry in Africa called Le Pont International, which is a bridge to Africa. And we're digging water wells. This week, we had three water wells come in. On March 22nd is World Water Day, and we celebrated the, the arrival of water in three West African villages that were greatly water-stressed. And everywhere you dig a well, you plant a church. We were able to baptize 40 of those Muslim background believers just recently as that new church at Adewikope was begun. They're fierce. They're fearless. They're, they're passionate, believing that God can do it. When Pastor Brian talked to me, I'll talk to us about revival, that stirred in me and I thought, God, do it again. I remember what happened in 1970. It wasn't just Hollywood Jesus people. It wasn't just the movie Jesus Revolution. It was real, and it blanketed the earth. God, do it again. Know how much God loves you. That's the second thing, and that's the foundation of your identity. He loves you. Look at Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4, and just let this kind of blow your mind, okay? We know that about God loving Jesus from the beginning, before he, he made anything. But look at this, Ephesians 1, 4. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. If you read Ephesians 1... You will get in that heavenly realm, and you won't have quantum mania, you'll have heavenly mania, and you'll see that God in advance purposed and planned certain things. And before he created the billions of stars in our one galaxy, and the stars are biblical Pictures of the saints of God. The people of God are pictured. God told Abraham, go out and look at the sky. Saw the stars, count them, can't. So will my seed be. So will your seed be. And we're sons of Abraham through faith in Jesus Christ. And those stars, Paul said, you are to shine as stars in the night. Creation was nothing but an explosion of the love of God as he created those stars. But even before that, even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. Look, that pen represents you. 
You're not on God's wrist and falling in and out of love with you. God doesn't fall in and out of love. We are in His grip of everlasting, eternal love. He'll never let you go. How could He? What can separate you from the love of God in Jesus Christ? Death, life, angels, principalities, famine, disease. No, and all these things were more than conquerors. Why? Because He loved us. And until we know and know that we know that we know that we're loved, valued and prized by the blood of God Himself, we will be looking for love in all the wrong places. Because God created you to be the object of His love. And once you settle that issue, once you receive Christ, once you receive the Trinitarian, triune God, and the Holy Spirit shedding abroad in your hearts the love of God, the Holy Spirit applying that love, just wave after wave of God's love filling your soul, So you don't need to look for love and acceptance from other human beings. It's nice to have. But God loves you. And when you know that, you'll know who you are. You'll know who you are in Christ. You're God's eternal child, and He loves you. You see, I believe Martin Luther had it right. Sinners are not Sinners are attractive because they are loved. They are not loved because they are attractive. You see that? You are attractive because you are loved. You're not loved because you're attractive. We're sinners. In need of a God of love, only revealed in Jesus Christ, I'm saying that These gods are false gods. Only the triune God of love can fill that vacuum in your heart and in mine. He created us to be containers of His Spirit, of His love. And then thirdly, and I've got to close quick here, or I'm going to create quite a traffic jam, which was my nightmare last night. Know how much God loves the world. That's the foundation of mission. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him would not perish but have everlasting life. You see, God loves, and what did He do? He sent His Son on mission in this world. That's what the love of God does. Put you on mission in Weatherford, Texas, Parker County, and in the world. You're on mission with God. You can't help but do that. You look at the triune trinity. We worship Him here. And you you are in love with a God of love. And you want to rave about this God. You, You know, evangelism missions is not a program to be pushed. It's an experience to be expressed. I remember when I was saved at the age of 19, I I, I prayed and, and I got off my knees. I wanted to put my arms around the world and love them to Jesus. That's how I felt. And I believe that's what mission is. 
It's the love of Christ. You're compelled by love, Paul put it. You will tell other people about Jesus Christ. You will begin to live on purpose with a purpose. And that purpose is to share the gospel, share the love of God in Christ with everyone you can as fast as you can. I'm going to ask you to please bow your heads with me in prayer. And this is the invitation today. Would you receive this God of love? Would you receive Christ as your Savior and your Lord? It all begins with admitting you're a sinner in need of a Savior. And believing that you're loved, not because you're attractive, because you know you're a sinner, but you're loved because God has set his love upon you. Admit you're a sinner. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Would you just say that to God today? Lord, I'm a sinner. I've sinned. So sorry. But believe that Jesus hung on a cross for you. And that God the Father punished your sin in the body of His own Son on the cross. Would you believe that? Just trust in that? And that God then raised Him up from the dead on the third day. And He's alive today. And that if you will call on the name of the Lord, you'll be saved. He loves you. But you've sinned. But you can call on His name today and be saved. Would you pray with me? And let's nail this down. Let's get this sure that that pen is in God's eternal grip of love and grace and mercy. Pray with me. Lord Jesus, I need you. Go ahead. Just talk to the Father. It's the attitude of your heart that really counts here, not the words you speak. Lord Jesus, I need you. I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I've sinned. I'm so sorry, God. I thank you for dying for me. I believe you died for my sins. I I trust that you did that for me. And I believe that Christ came back alive from that grave and is alive today. With all my heart, I believe that. I receive you. I receive your love. I accept you as my Lord and as my Savior. In Jesus' name. Just keep your heads bowed for a moment if you would. Bible says if we confess 
with our mouth the Lord Jesus. Believe in our heart that God's raised him from the dead. We will be saved. I'm not going to ask you to say anything or walk anywhere or do anything other than this. If you just prayed that prayer and you really meant it, I want you to look up at me and just catch my eye, if you would, just for a moment. Let's not do anything other than just catch your eye. Would you? I just prayed with you, Rex. And I received Jesus as my Savior, my Lord. Just look up. Just a minute longer. Thank you. Thank you. Just a minute longer. Make sure I catch your eye, please. Okay. Now there's a number on the screen that you can text. And the church would love to work with you and walk with you any way you would desire. But we want to help you grow and help you become everything God purposes for you to be and come. So text that number. If you have a card, a guest card, you can fill that out. Or maybe you've been attending Greenwood for a while. Just fill that out and make a note that you prayed to receive Christ today. And put that in the offering box and people of Greenwood will do the rest. Father, I thank you for these who prayed to receive you this morning. And I pray you'll bless them. I pray you will seal by your Holy Spirit this decision in their heart forever. We love you and praise you for loving us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Sermon Audio Podcast from Greenwood Baptist Church in Weatherford, Texas. You can find links to topics and scriptures discussed in this episode by looking at the show notes. You can find more information online at greenwood.church. If you have any questions or comments, please send an email to info at greenwoodbc.com.